the Luria Awards bringing together creatives from across the continent to celebrate the best in advertising. I'm really proud of the kind of work we've seen in 2019 bookmarks. This is about recognizing digital work. The award goes to the IAB Benchmarking of Digital Excellence Series. And the winner is... How to Win. Now, I think it was an incredibly thorough process. That's the way it feels. A podcast hosted by Nick Hammond and Johan Schweller. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Nick Hammond. I've got a background in broadcast media and I'm here to mediate today's conversation. I'm joined by Johan Schweller, an industry expert and creative director at TBWA. Before we get into the episode, a huge thank you to Mark One for coming on board and sponsoring today's podcast. Mark One is many things, an award-winning full-suite digital marketing business, cutting-edge content producer, a data-driven programmatic buyer, an innovative strategic partner, and a technology consultancy. But before they are any of these things, they are people. People who've made it their mission to understand their clients and their business. People who constantly learn, train, and retrain to make sure they are on the leading edge. People who time and time again have shown that they can not only meet their clients' objectives, but surpass them. For more information, go to mark1.co.za. All right, let's get to the podcast. The IAB Benchmarking of Digital Excellence Series. How to win. Welcome to the podcast. In this episode, we're connecting with two judges from Bookmarks 2020. We caught up with them during the judging process to find out how things were looking ahead of the 2020 awards. We spoke about the major trends in the industry, the level and quality of the work being submitted, and where we felt the awards and the industry were at in 2020. Our two fantastic judges joining us in the episode today are Calibri Kaynerd, Head of Social at Joe Public Connect, and Malefi Tulo, Executive Creative Director at Ogilvy. And here is our conversation. So this is now going to be the second last episode of this podcast series that myself and Johan have been doing. I'm Nick Hammond. I've got a background in broadcast media. Johan Schweller, Creative Director at TBWA. We're here today to talk about the Bookmarks 2020, which is a nice full circle because the first podcast series that we did focused on the Bookmarks of 2019. So what we want to do is we kind of want to take a look back at some of the things that happened last year, what some of the key insights from that were, and where hopefully into 2020 people hope we're at. So I'm going to hand over to Johan, and we're going to jump in with some questions. Thank you very much for, for being here. Uh, I think the, the big thing about the bookmarks is the finalists came out on Monday. What's your feeling so far in, in terms of looking at, at what's made it through into the kind of final round of judging? I was very excited to see bigger brands and smaller brands. So I think it showed that people weren't just looking at the major players, but they were also looking at like up-and-comers, which is, I think, exciting and good for the industry. Yeah, I guess um, for me, I think the also the variety of work, but also uh, I loved seeing how, as an industry, we're moving closer and closer to like doing work that's relevant and the insights are becoming stronger, and that's what I really enjoyed about the, the finalists. Oh, and I just wanted to add on to that, that point about stuff that, that work that actually matters. There was so much work around gender-based issues, around cancer, around education, so that was meaningful that wasn't um, like kind of like, ooh, let's just, you know, hunt a cause. So that was also really good to see authentic work that mattered. And something that is, we've touched on all throughout this podcast series, which I think is relevant to talk about again, and we'll definitely get to all those issues as well. And it'd be cool to unpack sort of what kind of trends we're in in 2020. But there has always been this case, and you did sort of speak to this a little bit now, but a bit about how certain agencies tend to dominate over others. And you kind of have these big plays that end up coming out with the the majority of awards, the majority of representation. Do you think that that's 
something that is is still the case? And if it is, what do you think needs to be done about that? Just, just to add on to that, um, I think when I looked at the finalists, what I found interesting, and a, a big theme for us in terms of discussions has always been the little guy struggle. You know, the, the TBWAs, the Ogilvies, the VMLs, I think, and the King Jameses collectively have 80% of the finalists. Are we as an industry represented enough and, and open enough to the small players? I don't know what I think about this um, yet because I don't, I think that if, you can still be a small player and you can do amazing work. Um, and I think across the board, whether you're in a big agency or small agency, like budgets are being cut, so you always have to do, you always have to try and make magic with what you have. Smaller agencies can actually be more agile. But I did see kind of a need to possibly have a two kind of social media campaign categories where you have one that's for bigger budgets and then you kind of have like another campaign for smaller budgets, because sometimes you can't, I mean, people who create these amazing bots, and like that costs a lot of money to do that. And it's still skilled, but not every client's going to have Unilever money kind of thing. Yeah. I think from, for me, from my side, um, there's a lot of things. And I think you, you've touched on uh, what's happening currently with the economy. And I mean, everybody's feeling it in terms of like cutting back. But, but just to talk a bit more about in terms of ideas, um, I'm in two minds about that. Because you look at agencies such as like the odd number, uh, which are coming through small shop, but like the, the work they're doing is incredible. So I guess it's, it's the idea uh, still, that, that's still uh, the king. So... Yeah, I think the, the other symptoms might be a sign of the, the times, but I don't think ideas are limited only to uh, the bigger players. I mean, you guys have obviously prejudged round one. Do, do you feel that the, the standard of entry, I'm not talking about the idea itself. You know, we work in an industry, pre- presentation is really everything. Do we feel that, that there's enough education in the market in terms of how to package your work in such a way that it, that it does the best it can for itself? Um, I... I think that the majority of the case studies that I saw in the social category, some of them had too much information. I think that they're learning, but I think they need to get more uh, focused on what the category is and what you're applying for. And you can kind of have the same look and feel, but your details need to change per per each category. I do think people are understanding. I think some of the smaller um, agencies need to look at the way that they do their entries and possibly do a video, do something that's quite dynamic, that's at least kind of like bite-sized bits of information. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think that's always the big battle. Why is this relevant for that category? You know, and then as judges, you sit in there trying to work out why it's, it's relevant. But um, to be fair to another portion of, of agencies, I think, uh, you know, South Africa, uh, in terms of like internationally, we punch above our weight as well. So I think the standard has, has improved and I think the quality has improved. But yeah, you do have one or two cases where I think they do themselves a disservice in terms of how they enter their work. So I would, do, I would say two things. Definitely do a video, but keep it to the points. And then have a lovely one-slider that highlights those points. Mm. And then my second thing, if you're entering different categories, slightly change up the look and feel of your one-slider so that the judges don't think it's the same, the same results. Like If it's like black, maybe make it white and highlight specific stats for the specific category. Yeah. That, that would be a practical suggestion for me. Because you keep seeing, if you keep seeing the same piece of work and the same um, one-siders in, in uh, like five entries, you may just kind of like, oh, well, I've seen that. I've seen so, that. So, I mean, a, a question we asked some of the other guys, and, and, and this question actually came from kind of a, 
small independent agency owner. And he says, to put a case study together, you can spend anything from 50 to 150,000 Rand because there's editing time, there's research and stuff. If you're a small agency owner and you're not a TBWA or an Ogilvy, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Would you guys say? So the value of winning the award <coughs> versus the value of 150K in terms of your bottom line, would you? I don't think it costs 150K to put a video together. Lefi, would you agree? Because uh, <laughs> I've seen, no, I've, yeah, seen I've seen, I've seen, I've seen, um, I've seen cases where yeah, you can see like a lot of money went into it, uh, but then the idea wasn't that great, you know. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't record because I, I think judges will see through the idea, we'll see through the the work, we'll see uh, through the results. I, I wouldn't recommend that people blow, uh, go blow uh, obscene amounts of money on case studies. I think put a a compelling case forward first, because we will, you know, I mean, we'll see that versus the uh, putting put in the uh, 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 tinsel and the glitz over it. Millennials make videos on their phones, so you could you could probably make a case study video on your phone if you're <laughs> clever enough. Just ask, oh. just ask the intern. <laughs> I think. Look, I mean, we did we did touch on this earlier, but I think it would be. I don't know if we specifically spoke about the breakthrough on a budget category that's been added to the bookmarks this year. We have touched on this issue, but in terms of that category, how do you see it sort of fitting in? What do you think the difference is in terms of what they're looking at there versus everything else? For me, I think something like that is great because, like I said uh, to, to the previous point, you've got to work with what you have, right? And like we all know sometimes when uh, you don't have much, that's when you actually, uh, it forces you to be creative. So I think that sort of uh, pressure does put up the levels in terms of creativity. So it is quite exciting um, yeah, and uh, for me, I'm always about like what is the idea, the idea, the idea, and uh, how you honor that category. But, but I, I'm quite excited about the, um, that category. So I, I think they must have one of these for social specifics to be built into um, the social category because there's a lot of work that gets done on the fly, and there's a lot of tactical work that should be recognized on its own. But I, lo- I love the idea of that category, and I think it would really work in the social space. I think you'd have... So many more smaller players, maybe possible PR entries as well into a category like that. Yeah, the budget thing is, is always an interesting question for me. Um, from a transparency perspective, you know, you, you've got work competing against each other on, on merit, yes, but the one piece might have a 7 million rand budget and the other one might have 100,000. And that obviously ultimately skews the numbers because if your media budget is more, you're going to have more views. Do you think that we should get to a point where we actually need to say, this is how much this campaign costs? Does it help a judge to go, that gives me context? Do you think that's something that's worthwhile exploring? Are we talking about media or production? Budget? The entire campaign budget, whether it's... Because I can spend a million on this amazing VR experience, whatever, uh, where someone else enters a small little campaign that they do on Facebook. It's hard to compare apples with apples if you don't know what the spend is. Yeah, yeah I, I think that was one of the things when we were judging was we wanted to kind of know the budget, not on production, but um, media spend. But I think that you can look and see when something has had lots of media behind it because their stats include reach and impressions, which is what you pay for when you have um, budgets. So I think there's ways, yeah, I would definitely like to be able to have the the, sp- the spend, ultimately, the spend. Yes. Yeah, I think it might be worth just being upfront about, like, you know, what the budget was in terms of that. So, because I think for me, it, it does help. So, the other thing we also look at is, like, what was the intended purpose of that work and the KPIs and the what it needed to achieve. 
So we look at all aspects, but I I don't know what you would I, I would yeah I think it would help with work because yeah somebody goes and blows like twenty million on a, a campaign might be unfair to something else for five hundred k. And and then given that you know the bookmarks are a numbers based award show, was there anything that you saw this year that you found was refreshing from a numbers based perspective specifically? The bookmarks has ultimately kind of always positioned itself as a as a performance based award, like an a, a efficient efficiency effectiveness uh, award, um, which means that agencies have to represent their numbers in a certain way. And a lot of the feedback we got not just from you know, previous kind of podcast panelists, but from agencies is how do you best represent your numbers? Um, is it just a reach thing? Some people feel that that is hyperinflated. Is it a conversion thing, but in a marketplace where if you have Edgar's as an account, for instance, how do you prove that the numbers correlate to what you did on social? Has it, was there any kind of differentiation this year that you saw that you thought that's a great way to do it? No, there's still hiding things and you're still having to analyze and say, what does that actually mean? So I, I do think that the bookmarks should get a little bit more strict on saying you need to set out specifically what your KPIs were and then you need to, adjacent to that, list specifically what your achievements were in that category. I think it would make it a lot more straightforward because sometimes there's a lot of like, Digital trickery and any good digital social media strategy has KPIs. And if it doesn't have KPIs, then I don't, I don't know what you're doing. You're just you know, making an ad and blasting it everywhere. So I would definitely look, want more stricter kind of boundaries around how you present your, so your KPIs. The, one of the objectives for this podcast originally was, um, like, yeah, it's work that wins, but it's, it's really about excellence. And, and something that we've debated in the past, kind of in our research and with, you know, discussing variables, is there then potentially something where we have to say as the bookmarks, let's templatize the way you represent your data. So get all the jury chairs together for the various categories and say, for this category, here are metrics that we find important. And if it doesn't fit into this, then it's actually not important with inside the category. Yeah, I think they should do, definitely do a template. I agree with that. And you're welcome to have the whole summary and write. You can do your extra added summary and spin it the, the way that you want. But I think a template would be very helpful. Yeah, one of the things we were um, uh, debating and having to deal with was like the period as well over how long. So some things were quite ambiguous. Yeah. And in certain cases, you can see it was intentional. It was ambiguous. So you don't know how effective the, the campaign was over what period. So... It may help uh, as long as, you know, we're not restricting creativity, which I don't think it would be, but yeah, mm -mm. just that caveat. Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't think it restricts creativity. Yeah. The IAB Benchmarking of Digital Excellence Series. How to win. Mark One has been making sense of technology-driven digital marketing before most, offering the full suite of paid media services, including programmatic media buying, paid social and search advertising. They've spent over a decade in digital and have become experts in ad tech and also offer strategic and technology consulting solutions to businesses where they help audit and deploy the most cutting edge ad tech and martech tools available globally. For more information, go to mark1.co.za.
We spoke about this earlier, um, sort of toward the start of the episode, you brought up the fact that there were certain trends that you were seeing this year. You'd seen things in the gender-based violence space that made you quite happy to see that representation. To speak broadly to, to trends overall and the kind of things you guys are seeing, and we can speak about conceptual trends and then also trends in digital marketing. I mean, what's your perception of, of, of where we're at in 2020? What things stand out? For me, I appreciated a lot of brands using the native capabilities of um, certain apps like stories and certain functionality to um, be innovative Um, so it's not like they spent tons of money like recreating something but they used the behavior that's already built into the app and created a unique experience I really appreciated that Um, I really enjoyed the storytelling from a digital point of view Um, there were some beautifully crafted stories um, and literal stories like on Instagram stories um, and the causes um, there was some it's nice to see authentic um, kind of ownership around a cause but I also saw work that was like a little bit inauthentic when it came to a cause so I think that brands need to if you're gonna have a cause and have a purpose then it really needs to be a real a real business Without being too specific to the, the brand in question, what sort of speaks to inauthentic work for you? That there's no extension besides just a message that women shouldn't be killed anymore. So it's surface level. It's, yeah, yeah, it's just, okay, cool, great, thanks. We'll remember all the dead ladies, the dead women. But that's, that's kind of the summation of the campaign. I, I just wasn't... Would you... I mean, I'm going to go on, out on a personal limb here, but... Uh, I think it was the early 90s, there was a, a print ad, I think it was actually BBH, who ran a print ad in the, in, the, in the Guardian in the UK to go, here's a dead dog, now where's my award? Do we feel from a trend perspective that we're hitting the peak of kind of purpose-led marketing? Um, it's something that I've picked up from Cannes last year where it, was, it felt like the space was kind of very well trodden. I don't know, I'm putting the question out there. Yeah, I, th- I think... Yeah. You know, you've got the Nikes of the world, and uh, uh, you you got to be careful about exactly that. Like, I mean, there's nothing of putting uh, like seeing work where you like this was just done for basically for you well, know, maybe because government or, told them to do it. Yeah, they have to or do you, it. yeah. So it's like beyond just like uh, a message. Be putting a message out. There's like, okay, what must I do with that with that message? Like, what? There's no engagement. There's nothing. It's just a brand just blurting stuff at me. So, um, I think in this country, and I. Like, for example, I'm, I'll mention another brand like Jet uh, that I felt did it like in a, quite an authentic way. I think we are seeing more and more of that stuff um, and less and less of the stuff like, where's my award? Yeah, yeah here's a, a course, show some like uh, poor kids and then give me my award. Um, yeah. You could speak to the Jet campaign. Oh, well, it's my agency. I think that it was... Um, piece of work that they fought for for a long time and client bought into it and it's you know it's been able to show a different side of jet which is i mean that's what i love about it as well like it just felt authentic felt like no trickery nothing nobody was trying to you know and the way that they did like the breast exams and then and just being plain and just being nude and doing you know the breast exams like that's very very authentic and it's taboo at the same time when it shouldn't be what I like about that kind of stuff, it means you've got a brave client. Something that, that we kind of at length debated in the last week, I think, in the advertising community was, was the Burger King moldy burger. 
and apparently they presented it three times over the last kind of four years from three different agencies. And it took them ages to buy the idea. What do you think we can do as advertising people to to create that culture of bravery within our clients? Because we, we can have the coolest ideas in the world, right? Yeah. If the clients are going to buy it, you can you know forget about it. Yeah. Um, I think... Uh, I just said, I say good ideas <laughs> die every day. <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah. They die every day. You just have to like fight for them. Yeah. I mean, I saw a dustbin in New York that said, uh, this is where good ideas go to, to die. And that's so true. It's like everyday good ideas. I think where, as an industry, uh, to your question, I think sometimes where we go wrong is where you just bring clients' ideas that they themselves can see that uh, this is just for, for you just to fill up your, your book, right? I think uh, the ideas that really clients end up buying, you know, that require a bit of bravery are clients that, ideas that do work for them, you know, ideas like the little girl in New York, um, Brave, the, the statue. Brave, yes. Brave, yeah. Why are we all forgetting what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it does take time. You know, you have to go through a lot of no's before you get a yes. But I think ultimately clients do rec- recognize work that is that is great as long as it's not a creative, like, just indulgence. Yeah, that work yeah, will never mm, seem like That's there. a good point. Yeah. I think you need to psychologically understand your client. So you need to... Because <laughs> I also used to work in account management. So I think you need to understand your, you know, your everyday kind of client I think you need to understand what's going on with the actual business mm. and you need to try and solve their problems meaning you need to solve your your marketing director's problem and you need to solve the business problem at the same time um, and and make them look really really good so I think psychologically analyzing your clients and your business that you're serving can help you say how can I take this idea and like sandwich it so that they will be inspired to fight for it. Yeah. That's, yeah. So something that we've touched on throughout the podcast and throughout this episode as well as we've talked about the idea of getting more people to be able to come to the table. As jury chairs, in your opinion, I think there's two questions, right? There's, there's, there's what can agencies be doing? And I'd like to get that. But then can we look at maybe the bookmarks as well? And are there things in your opinion that the bookmarks could do to be more inclusive? I think it just depends like on the kind of will and purpose of your agency so or where you're working so if they have a big drive to have award-winning works because supposedly award-winning work is like so many times more effective um you know and maybe like entering awards is like we have someone who like dedicates like when it's award season we have someone who's dedicated to like dealing with all the people in the agency and getting these case studies put together so it also takes additional resource and someone who's committed to like understanding all the categories looking at all the work meeting with all the different people who created the work getting all the stats together then getting like a case study made then getting everyone to approve the case study so it's like a lot of it's a lot of effort if you want to do it right and I don't think you need to enter so many categories like my agency we only entered a minimal amount of categories on specific categories that we I would like to say win. that you've got the most finalists out of any agency. Do we? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh, across the whole thing? Yeah. Okay, so I'm speaking about, so I'm speaking I'm specifically joking. around the, um, the digital work. Yeah. No, no, specifically around the digital work. We entered, we didn't enter, I don't think we entered like 30. We entered like 10. Would you, around there. would you say, Malefi, specifically that, I mean, you've, you've, you've quite a well-recognized face in the industry. You've judged overseas. Yeah. 
as jury chair, to what standard do you hold the work? Um, because last year, and rightly so in my opinion, there were certain categories that had no winners because a certain standard was upheld. But that begs the question, do we need to give awards to, to nurture that and incentivize the industry or do we need to have such high standards on, almost like on an international level that it's so hard to win that almost no one wins? Where does the balance lie for you? Yeah, so that, that question is actually quite, uh, it's not just for uh, bookmarks because uh, it goes for quite a lot of like uh, local um, uh, award shows. So there's always this fight battle between upholding that standard and pushing that award show uh, higher. But also, for example, in terms of like nurturing, you don't want to deter, like for example, students. You go, the standard is so high, I can't, I, there's, there's no way. I've got no chance. I've got no chance in that. So that's a constant um, uh, uh, tug of war between those two. I think... Um, Personally, you have to, maybe there's the wrong thing, where we've split it. We've said, uh, you know, so for example, uh, with students, you're kind of a little bit more lenient. But with the rest of the work, I think you have to uphold a certain standard. Because if you don't, then what happens is that people go, oh, the world shows, uh, you know, it's just easy to win. Yeah, I hope that answers your Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, for, for me, it's an it's a, an interesting dilemma, you know, yeah. because sometimes you you want to send a message yeah. to the industry. And, and Jerry, Jerry you, guys, you guys actually hold a lot of power in that. Like, I remember a few years ago, um, judging the Luries, we discussed as a panel to go, actually, even though there might be one or two banners that can win, this is not good enough. And we almost want to send out a message and say, we're not going to award the stuff. Yeah. Because we should be doing better as a collective. Yeah. Is, there, is there those politics at play here? Yeah, I think um, also you've got to look at the festival, which I forgot to say earlier. You've got to look at the, the ambition of the festival, right? So uh, digital is the future of, uh, of marketing. So what does bookmarks do? You know, you've got you to hold the standards in terms of like just pushing that work and not going backwards. So one of the, we always work with the criteria, every award show, and one of them is innovation. You know, so you gotta hold that, and you go down the, the level. So, yeah, standards are important. I agree, standards are important, and I think you should rather be strict than to be lenient, because then it brings down, the it brings down the actual award show, and you probably have less people entering because they don't think that it's that it's a Was valid that? Um, award show anymore. Um, I don't think that there were politics in the judging. I just think that everyone was quite generous, generous, but also quite harsh when needed to be. So if something was kind of like, um, like, like old school social media tactics, but it really achieved a client's objective and it was clever, then that was also acknowledged. But if something used like new tech and was like kind of pushing the boundaries of where social was going, then that was also recognized. And if something was spent a lot of money on, but it didn't really have like engagement and it needed engagement, it was like, hmm. No, like it's not going to go. What's your opinions on the the old? It's been done before. I mean, you guys obviously have to control the room. It's people from different agencies with you know their own agendas. Uh, how do you manage that? The negativity versus the talking up versus the it's been done before. Uh, how do you mitigate the room? Um, I, th I think it'll be interesting for the people out there to know. You know what goes on inside of a jury room and, and how is that managed from you know the, the leaders inside of the room? Yeah, um, you've got a lot of strong opinions in that room got a lot of experience in that room so people who are archives themselves who would know like in 2001 this was done so um we lay the the house rules up front so um 
that's that's something like personally I don't allow. So you can't just blurt out it's been done before. Um, like we always say, like a piece of work will never recover from it's been done, even though you prove afterwards that no, maybe the idea was different. Just those words are just damaging to a piece of work, you know. Um, and I, I always stress there's a criteria. Go by the criteria that's set out in the thing. So that's kind of how we. And I, I find a lot of people once you've set out ground rules, people respect that. Talk up work, then be negative about about work. So rather keep quiet if you feel like. Uh, I'm gonna bring this piece of work down. So, like with the with the social kind of judging, it wasn't like oh, it's been done before, <laughs> in the sense of it's not a creative idea. It was more around the mechanic, so it wasn't necessarily a new mechanic, which didn't maybe brought it down in innovation, um, but it was still well executed and it achieved. So, so it was higher in in achieving clients' objectives than it was in innovation. So it wasn't to say oh, it was bad work, it's just that from an innovation point of view, you can't rate it that high. Um, I think that from my experience, um, we were more kind of investigating the stats and what they actually did. And, and does it match up? And what do you think? And what is your impression? Does it belong in this category? There was a lot of that discussion. There was also a lot of discussion around influencer marketing versus marketing with a celebrity and yeah, those were interesting conversations that we had, but not ones that we were going to solve on that, yeah, on that day. Guys, really and truly, thank you so much for doing this, and especially given how much is going on at the moment. Um, just thank you for making some time to speak to us. This is the second last podcast in the series. Uh, and then in the final one, we're sort of going to look back at all the insights from the other five and sort of see where we are. So your time, it really means a lot to us. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. Today's podcast was brought to you by Mark One. Mark One have been making sense of technology-driven digital marketing before most, offering the full suite of paid media services, including programmatic media buying, paid social, and search advertising. While paid media is at their core, they've evolved over the years, firstly establishing a fully-fledged digital creative unit, Mark One Labs, and then expanding their data and analytics offering to provide clients true insights into their audiences and campaigns. They've got over a decade in digital. They've become experts in ad tech and also offer strategic and technology consulting solutions to businesses where they help audit and deploy the most cutting edge ad tech and martech tools available globally. For more information, go to mark1.co.za.